a Podcast One production. The biggest trick the devil ever played was making people believe that to get something done, you do it outside of politics. I challenge that. In fact, I think it's total rubbish. But if you're not at that decision-making table, then your views aren't being represented. So encouraging people to understand how the impact of a more diverse representative parliament has knock-on effects for policy change is critical. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX-listed companies. And this is Fast Track. Imagine leaving a safe and rewarding corporate career to lead a movement for social change. I know we read about people doing it and many of my clients talk about it, but actually doing it can be daunting. The journey my guest today has taken reads like a novel. From corporate high flyer to leader of a social change not-for-profit centred around our democratic process, government and politics. My guest is Lucia Heath, CEO of Women for Election Australia, a non-partisan and not-for-profit organisation working to achieve equal gender representation in Australia's parliaments. They offer practical programs that are specifically designed to inspire more women to seek public office and to equip them with the tools and knowledge they need to succeed. Lysia, let's set the context here for everyone. You now are a CEO of a not-for-profit, but you began as something quite different in your career. What were you and what was the impetus for change? Look, I've had quite a diverse career, but most recently I was in financial services for 20 years in in asset management, so funds management, uh, and it was a very fruitful career. And before that, I actually did science and engineering at university. So colourful, it's all colourful, but I had my own little breakthrough about do I want to be in financial services for the next five or 10 years? So you've been doing it for 20 years? Yeah, 19 years. 19 yep. years, so yep. close to 20 years. And you were successful? Yes, I would say yes. So what happens at that moment you go, mm. I mean, in the old days we might call it a midlife crisis, but what was going on for yeah, you? Yeah, Jerry Maguire calls it a breakthrough, not a breakdown. Right. So Okay, good. That's a positive <laughs> frame on it. Um, no, look, it was, it was nothing like that. It was just I, I had had a, a great career, fantastic networks. It, it had been fruitful, but as I was knocking on 40, I was thinking, do I want to be doing this when I'm 50? And if the answer was no, which it was, then it's time to start making a change now because I wasn't confident that people would let me make the change when I was 48 or 49 or something like that. So better to start at 40 and then start doing what I was always thinking about on the couch. Okay, so you're lying on the couch, you're aware. Mm. What do you think about on that couch? I was thinking about, well, I was troubled by the, the Australian political landscape. Well, well that's, a, there's a, that's a long rope there, you yeah. know, a long piece of string. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to be troubled by, but what were you particularly troubled by? I didn't feel represented. I was just getting increasingly frustrated at how, I call it the alignment of interests, how people were behaving and conducting themselves in politics and how that utterly was not what was allowed, permitted, condoned in my work life and everybody else's work life. And I just couldn't understand how the alignment of interests could be so out of whack. 
Can you give me some examples of how that manifested? Oh, uh, harassment, misogyny, lying, entitlement sagas about how money was being misspent. Just I thought about all the checks and balances that I had to go through in my daily life as a, as a senior in executive and how I'd seen people called out and fired or certainly managed and it just didn't align, even remotely. Mm. So poor behaviour, poor performance and we're paying these representatives. Yeah, absolutely. So you're feeling increasingly frustrated lying on the couch, watching the news, mm-hmm. listening to the 7.30 report or whatever it might be. And so what do you do? Well, I went to my CEO who I was very close with and said, I would like a year sabbatical because I was thinking about making a career move. Uh, I was very dedicated to our company. I'd helped build the company. I was one of the founding members of the company and I didn't want to leave anyone in the lurch. So I, I said to him, when the time permits, then I would like to have a sabbatical to take 12 months to figure it out. And you will still have my time as well when I can do it. And, and that started in 2017. And so the sabbatical begins and you're frustrated by the political system. There's a big leap to what you're doing now. So tell me, yeah. tell me the journey to there and then I really want to understand about this current role. Yeah. So the journey was, I had a big whiteboard in my office at home and I was starting to figure out what the problems were in politics. Where were things going wrong? Uh, So was it a lack of policy? Was it a lack of execution on policy? Was it the individual in politics? Was it the party organisation? What was it? And then I dedicated a year to meeting with ex-politicians, staffers, heads of think tanks, academics, you know, all, all and sundry and mapped out on my whiteboard over 12 months where the, where the flow was going wrong. And ultimately where I got to was um, it wasn't a lack of policy, why policy wasn't being implemented. It was the faces in parliament. Our government is not representative of the people that it governs. I really like your evidence-based science research. and I mean, that's really come in as the engineer, really <laughs> come in to help you in that research piece because many people would see a problem and then jump to solution. You sat in that problem for a long time yeah, to did. understand it. That helped you then decide that you were going to be with Women for Election Australia and that was an organisation that already existed or was there just a bunch of people having a coffee? It did already exist uh, and it's modelled off a group in Ireland actually called Women for Election Ireland who have had an extraordinary positive effect on on their legislative chambers over there and have um, increased the number of women and ended up passing things like abortion reform and marriage equality before Australia, which is Mm. a very religious Catholic country. So, Mm. and, you know, in no short part to more women being part of their legislative chambers. So took the same model and I was a director on Women for Elections board after I attended their first ever conference in 2017 while I was on the sabbatical. So uh, I was a punter in the stands at the first conference and it really lit something in me and I found... I was on the board five months later and then not too long after that, I ended up running as well in the Wentworth by-election. Oh, wow. So you actually practised what you were preaching. This is so interesting. (laughs) And the Wentworth by-election, we know that's the area in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. So that's a pretty hotly contested seat. And you're an independent. Yeah, yeah. I call myself the other independent. Karen Phelps is the independent (laughs) that everybody knows and I was the other independent. But uh, look, it was... 
such a big deal and had such national notoriety because Malcolm Turnbull was the sitting member and it was one of the most positive experiences of my life, which was basically the exact opposite of what everybody told me it would be. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. Look, it was it was six weeks, so it was super fast and frenetic, but it was a finite sense of time that you thought you could give yourself to. But watching a whole electorate who'd formerly been quite politically disengaged, I would say, engage was a very powerful thing to be a part of. And I had, I don't know, look, it would have been a couple of hundred women come up to me through that six weeks and just said, keep going, we're watching, Uh, you're making it so accessible, can I buy you a coffee at the end of all this? Because I would like to do something in the future like this too, but I don't know where to start. Mm. And it was at the end of that process where I thought, okay, there is something in this. Not everybody is disengaged from the political process in Australia, but they don't know necessarily how to engage. And that is where Women for Election is filling a gap, a knowledge gap. Okay, that's exactly where I want to go because what are you setting out to do as Women for Election Australia? Well, ultimately we want gender parity in our legislative chambers. What does it stand at at the moment? So at the federal level, it stands just over 30%. Uh, That's across the House of Representatives and the Senate. But that's very divided between the parties. So nearly 50-50 in the Labor Party, but more like 19% in the Liberal Party. And when the Liberal Party is in power, then the number of women you have in, say, the Cabinet, which is the big leadership body at the top, is hideously low. And just not acceptable in my mind. Mm. And so is that the same around the states? Mm -hmm. Are there any positive stories? Look, it oscillates from state to state. And then some states like Queensland don't have a House of Representatives and a Senate. They only have one house, same as Tasmania. You know, not everyone knows that. But then Victoria and Tasmania are doing very, very well. Local government Mm. is another word for council. You know, they're doing very well. New South Wales is the worst state in the country for women representation on local government. So people don't know that either. (laughs) This is really fascinating, the evidence that you're throwing up now. So Women for Election Australia, what are they doing about this? So we have two broad remits. The first is to inspire more women to get involved in the Australian political process. And that looks like many different things, uh, whether it be help another woman run or or run yourself. And then it's to equip them with the skills to do that. So actually give the tangible skills. How do you run a campaign? How do you fundraise? How do you get in front of the media? If you're going to do a town hall for local government, how does that look? If you're going to run for a major party, what does that look like versus as an independent. So it's about making what is a very, very opaque process right now more transparent. And have you found along the way that people, because they don't know what the process looks like, have withdrawn or not even attempted to participate? Oh, absolutely. When you don't know how something works, by nature you disengage and you don't want to be the person that asks a stupid question. You know, how do preferences work? Oh, my God. Like the draft pick in the AFL, it's way out of my brain (laughs) space. You know, but over 90% of 
politicians in Australia are elected off the back of preferences. Mm. So mm. it's important stuff and it, and it's not complicated. You just need someone to take the time to explain it. You know, I was 40 year, years old when I realised that the upper house is the same thing as the Senate. Now, I'm not embarrassed to admit that. I think you bring up a really good point here, which is that the political literacy of the nation isn't really very great. No, no, it isn't at all. And, you know, that benefits the status quo. I would love to see civics training enter our primary school, particularly our high school. It's not a everybody goes to Canberra in year six, so that's ticked. <laughs> you know, it's it's more than that. And how we engage with politics in the modern world is very different to how my grandparents engaged with it, which was you went to the branch meeting, you understood how that happened, you know, you'd nail your colours to the mast really early and then you would go down that route. Well, that's not how it works in the modern busy life. Memberships are down, political parties, squash clubs, scouts, they're all down. So if that used to be the way that we found out, in the absence of that, how are we going to find out otherwise? And, and you know, being the information source for women for election is a very, very big part to help women engage more with the political process. So an information source and also you said the word inspiring people to support others. So that's that sort of hub there. What else do you do? Well, we, we were running face-to-face conferences and workshops. Uh, we're about to launch masterclasses and like everybody else, we have moved to online which has been extremely beneficial for us, actually, because we we haven't been able to drop into Fremantle or the Northern Territory or anything yet because we don't quite have the financial resources to do that. But that's exactly who attended our last online event. So um, the accessibility has broadened massively. And at those workshops, like I said before, we, you cover a whole range of things like how do preferences work? organisationally, how does the major parties work? What happens in pre-selection? What is pre-selection? You know, so, so really going from a politics 101 to then a deep dive, like a three-hour masterclass in how to do the maths of your electorate. Like if you've got 100,000 people in your electorate, what's a quota that you need to win? And then how do you work backwards from that? Amazing. It sounds incredible. Now, the old adage is that open the door for women in terms of diversity and inclusion, and then it allows for other minorities and underrepresentative groups to enter as well. Mm-hmm. Is this what's happening with you? Are you finding that you have cultural groups that are joining as well as being women? So, for example, First Nations people? Oh, look, we have sought to be very inclusive and have scholarshiped tickets to our events and reached out to broad organisations to ensure that we are getting a breadth of diversity at our events. And that's really escalated as recently as the last two months. We won a grant from the Australian Marriage Equality Foundation to help scholarship LGBTQI women at our events, which is amazing. And we've just formed a partnership with a group called Women's Business, which is an Indigenous leaders uh, symposium, to help us write a module specifically to encourage more Indigenous and culturally and linguistically diverse women 
to consider running for public office and it's so critically important. Because that creates social change and this is part I want to talk about, why politics and social change are linked so closely together because many people would say that politics is actually a barrier to social change. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I say the um, the biggest trick the devil ever played was making people believe that to get something done, you do it outside of politics. I challenge that. In fact, I think it's total rubbish. Now, I understand there's inefficiencies in politics and public office and bureaucracy and things like that, but if you're not at that decision-making table, I refer back to the cabinet that I was talking about before, um, then your views aren't being represented. They're just not. (laughs) So encouraging people to understand how the impact of a more diverse representative parliament has knock-on effects for policy change is critical. And And the World Economic Forum just released a paper at the beginning of this year linking the number of women in federal parliamentary chambers with the number of effective gender policy coming out of that parliament as well. And you wouldn't be surprised to find out that Australia's fallen massively in that index. Mm. When we spoke earlier, you told me that the program actually is as successful when people choose not to run. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, I think it's not just about women running. Obviously, I'm very passionate about more women running. We survey everybody that do our events and at the back of our events, it's typically about half of the participants that say, okay, I'm crystal clear now, I don't want to run. So that's a success in your eyes. That's absolutely success. That's an informed decision, you know, as distinct from not deciding to run and not being informed about it. But of those that don't want to run, 100% of them are now dedicated to helping another woman run though. Ah, there's the success piece that I love. Absolutely, because they understand now what's involved in a a candidate's campaign. Digital, comms, fundraising skills. There's such a diverse skill set that's needed and and they can say, well, I can help you with your marketing or I'm happy to take your photos or I'm happy to do, you know, so. Support um, system. Absolutely. Absolutely. So critical Mm. and it's the definition of success or not success. What's different for you personally now that you've taken on this role? Because that's a big change. It is a big change. There's a lot of things. I think one of the biggest changes for me is I used to do my work and then I would come home and think about everything that could be changed. And now I'm doing that. So it's not that I'm stuck at work and then thinking about something else on the couch that isn't even remotely to what I'm doing day to day. That is what I'm doing day to day. So that means it's not a grind. There's nothing else that's negatively associated. It's still very busy, don't get me wrong, and there's all the frustrations that come with that. But I have a lid on the frustrations because I know I'm making the difference and, you know, success begets success. I'm not planning to run again in the short term myself, but I love the idea about helping another 2,000 women run instead. And that's what we're focused on, training 2,000 women to run by 2022. Wow. So what would you say to people thinking about taking this professional leap? Get informed. Just like anything else that you would do if you were going to pivot your career, research where you're going to send your kids to school, 
we make a decision, an informed decision. And Women for Election is providing different workshops, online events to give you the information that might help you make a future decision. You might want to run in six months. You might think about running in 15 years. But gather the information now. Now it takes three times, three times to run to have success. So a bit like publishing a book. Don't worry about the rejections. Just keep heading. Just keep going. It's like a job interview. You don't have to wait till you've got all the skills to then run. The data says, actually, the first time you run, you're not going to have success. Mm. So let's start now. Just start now. Learn about the process. You'll get through it. In fact, you might even prosper as a consequence. And there's all sorts of other leadership skills that come out of it as well. So as I talk to you today, the energy and the passion and the sparkle in your eye and when you speak about this social change that you are part of is really, really evident. And I'm sure everyone listening can also sense it in your voice and hear it and what you're talking about. Thank you so much for coming to share your passion, to share societal change and also to really inform us about the Women for Election Australia. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me in. It's been great. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Fast Track Podcast.